Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open to Psalm 148. And if you, at the beginning of the summer, grab one of these uh, reading plan bookmarks, you'll notice that August 14th is supposed to be Psalm 130. The reason for that is because I am terrible at Google Sheets, okay? So while Cody and Steven are wizards at it, I'm a mere mortal, and so I got something messed up on there. So totally my fault. So we are in the last week of our Psalm series here in Psalm 148. And what the Psalms have shown us over the course of the summer is what it looks like to praise and to pray to the Lord in every circumstance in life through every emotion, through every instance, through every circumstance, through everything that we go to go to and go through, I guess, what does it look like to pray to the Lord through that? And we've walked through various kinds of psalms where the tone of the psalm has been very different from week to week. Because what we've been seeing is what does it look like to praise and pray to God in every circumstance of life. And what Psalm 148 is, is that it's, it's one of kind of like five concluding praise psalms in the book of Psalms. Wrapping up the whole book of Psalms are five praise psalms. Uh, Dalton read one of them for us, Psalm 150. Psalm 148 is one of those. And with Psalms wrapping up with five praise psalms, that actually tells us something very, very important. And what it tells us is that all of prayer if taken to its very end, results in praise. That all of prayer, if taken to its very end, results in praise. Now remember that about a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. They're Psalms of sorrow. They're Psalms that, that are crying out to God either because of evil done toward you or evil done by you or just evil in the world in general. About a third of the Psalms are Psalms of sorrow, Psalms of lament. And the fact that the book of Psalms, with a third of those Psalms being Psalms of sorrow, the fact that the book of Psalms would end with five praise Psalms is meant to show us that if you stay with God and if you process all of life through prayer, it will eventually result in praise. If you process all of your life, every circumstance you go through, if you stick with God through those circumstances, what these five Psalms at the end of the book of Psalms is showing us, that it will inevitably and eventually result in praise. That in the midst of sorrow, if you don't give up on God, but you stick with God and take those sorrows to God, you will eventually end up praising God, maybe not because your circumstances change, but because you will, you will begin to rest more in God's sovereign purpose in your life, whether or not your circumstances change. That as you take those sorrows to him in prayer, you'll begin to trust God more with those circumstances, whether or not they change. And it will result and praise that if you take your joys and your celebrations and your happiness to God, you'll end up praising God as the giver of all good things, as the giver of all good gifts. And that when you begin to praise the giver rather than the gifts, you'll actually be able to enjoy the gifts of God more. You see how this works? If you praise the giver and you worship the giver rather than the gifts, it actually frees you to enjoy God's gifts even more because you're no longer expecting them to be for you what only God can be. 
You can enjoy your spouse more. You can enjoy your kids more. You can enjoy your things more because you're not looking to them to be your God, but you're worshiping God as the good giver of all good things. Psalm 148 is a psalm of praise. I said that, and praise shows up 11 times in these 14 verses. It's almost as if the psalmist like, couldn't get a few words out until he continues to like, exhort and admonish all of the creatures and the people that he's talking to to continue to praise the Lord. It's like he just gets a few words and he goes back to praise. Charles Spurgeon once said that the drum of the great king beats round the world with this one note. Praise, praise, praise. To praise, you say, what does it mean to Praise. To praise simply means to lift high, to lift up, to, to hold up and uh, think of it as, as if you have like the biggest diamond that you've ever seen and you lift it up and you let it shine through the light and you look at it from every different angle and as you lift it up, you see different things about it and as you see different things about it, you enjoy it more and as you enjoy it more and you're lifting it up, inevitably other people will see you lifting it up. Like if I just stood here right now and I looked at the ceiling, eventually... I guess, is you would begin to wonder, what's up there? What is up there? What is he looking at? That's what it means to praise. It means to fix our attention to a higher point and to enjoy that as we gaze upon it. That's what it means to praise the Lord. And as we do that, we will call others to join us in that enjoyment. And what Psalm 148 is, is it's like a, it's like a Google Earth call to praise. Have you ever gone to Google Earth? Like where you start out all zoomed out, you're kind of like floating in space, right? That's as close as I'll get to an astronaut is on Google Earth. Like you're floating in space, right? And you type in your address and pretty soon, like if your screen's big enough, it'll mess with you because you'll start to like zoom in and you're falling through the atmosphere, right? Until you get to your point. Like that's what Psalm 148 is, is we start all zoomed out and then verse by verse, we begin to zoom in and zoom in and zoom in. So what we have here in Psalm 148, in verses one through six, we're all zoomed out. And it's this call for the heavenly world, the upper world to praise the Lord. Look at verse one, hallelujah. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the heights. We're all zoomed out. In other words, there's no place too high where the praise of the Lord should not resound. And then you move on to verse two, angels and armies and those celestial beings, verses three and four, sun and moon and shining stars, highest heavens, waters above the heavens. And then right there, verse five, let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? Why should these heavenly beings, these heavenly bodies praise the name of the Lord? Why? For he commanded and they were created. Have you ever thought of this? that our God is so powerful and so worthy of praise that when he commands something to exist that doesn't exist, that thing comes into existence in order to obey the command of the Lord that it exists. In order to obey the command of the Lord that he is worthy of praise. It's fitting, it's right that that which is created would honor the creator, would lift up the worthiness and the excellencies of the creator. Let them praise the name of the Lord, these heavenly bodies, praise the Lord, because you were created by him. And not only that, not only because they were created by him, look at verse six, 
raised them for he commanded they were created. Verse six, he set them in position forever and ever. He gave an order that will never pass away. Just stick with me here. This, this blew my mind this week. Another reason that the heavenly bodies should praise the Lord and that we should join them in that praise is because the call of the heavens to praise the Lord is based on the regularity that the Lord established in the beginning. Just stick with me. The ordered regularity of creation that every day the sun rises, every day the sun sets, every day the moon rises, every day the moon sets, every day the tide comes in, every day the tide goes out. The ordered regularity of creation is not some sort of evidence that there was, that there's this like unknown God that just came and like wound a watch or, or spun a top and just kind of like got everything set in motion and then stepped away. No, the fact that every day the sun rises, every day the sun sets, every day the tide comes in, every day the tide goes out is evidence that there is a creator God who is intimately involved in his creation down to the most mundane of details. You can look up on your phone right now. When is the sun gonna set today? You can predict it. Happens every day. And it's the testimony of the power and faithfulness of an intimately involved creator. You see, day after day and night after night, the sun and the moon again and again, they joyfully rise and they joyfully set in praise to the Lord. The stars joyfully respond to the Lord by burning with storms of fire to the praise of his glory, which means that every morning light and every evening shadow is a testimony to the faithfulness of God and his worthiness to be praised. G.K. Chesterton, who was an English philosopher, he describes this in this way. I read this years ago, and I have not been able to shake this. Now stick with it, because he's an English philosopher, so it's a little verbose. All right, but stick with me here. It'll be up on the screen. Here's how he describes this ordered regularity. Here's what he says. Now to put the matter in a popular phrase, it might be true that the sun rises regularly because he never gets tired of rising. His routine might be due not to lifelessness, but to a rush of life. The thing I mean can be seen, for instance, in children. When they find some game or joke that they specially enjoy, a child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not absence, of life. Because children have a bounding vitality. Because they are in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it until he is nearly dead. <laughs> If you have kids, you can empathize with that. You're like, oh my gosh. But uh, my wife and my son played the game Sorry five times yesterday morning before I woke up. She played it till she was nearly dead. All right. Here's what he says. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun 
and every evening do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. The repetition in nature may not be a mere recurrence. It may be a theatrical encore. You see what he's saying? You see what verse six is showing us? It's saying that regardless of your circumstances, that within your deepest sorrows, within your greatest moments of frustration, within your greatest joys, within your greatest disappointments, that every break of dawn and every evening shadow is meant to be a constant and consistent reminder of the glory of the Lord and his worthiness to be praised in whatever your situation. Which means that for brothers and sisters, that whatever you're going through, let the rays of sun that come through your window every morning and let the shadows that are cast on your driveway and in your yard every evening, let every time you walk out of places like this and you, you, know, you walk out of the movie theater and you are just blasted with that sunlight and your eyes are like trying to adjust, every time that happens, let that be a reminder that God said today to the sun, do it again. And he didn't tire of it. That it's a testimony of his constant faithfulness of his unchanging nature, of his ever presence in your life, that whatever you're going through, that God is still here and God is still near to you. He set them in position forever and ever. He gave an order that will never pass away. And so now we hit verse seven and we begin to zoom in in our, in our Google earth call to praise, right? Verse seven here, praise the Lord from the earth. So it started off, praise the Lord from the heavens and all the things that are in the heavens. Now praise the Lord from the earth, all sea monsters and ocean depths. Uh, Stephen would really love me to explain sea monsters here. I don't have time, man. I'm sorry, but it is fascinating. Lightning and hail, snow and cloud, stormy wind that executes his command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creatures that crawl and flying birds. Where? Should the Lord be praised? What is Psalm 148 telling us? Where should the Lord be praised? In all places. From the highest of heavens to the deepest of depths, he should be praised in all places. And if praise begins in the heavens, then the earth joins in harmonious agreement to the praise of the worthiness of God. Now you might ask, how in the world do mountains and streams and animals and trees praise God? How do they do that? How does that happen? Here's how it happens. They function according to their design. That's how they praise the Lord. They live and function according to their God-given design. So when birds fly, they fly to the praise and glory of God because they were created to fly. When bunnies hop all across your yard, we have this one bunny that thinks that our, that our carport driveway is like his new home. It scares me every time I leave my house. And him as well. When bunnies hop across your yard, they hop to the praise and glory of God because bunnies were designed to hop. When squirrels chase each other around the trees, they chase to the glory and praise of God because they were designed 
to chase. You see, here's the thing. At the end of the day, we should see creation not as a resource to exploit or as an idol to preserve, but as an example to imitate. We should see creation not as a resource to exploit or as an idol to preserve, but as an example to imitate. God has given us in his creation consistent reminder notes. You ever write notes for yourself to remember things? I don't do it enough. Jordan Perhoda would always blow my mind on this. He was one of the most consistent people that I know. And the reason is, it's not because he has a great memory. It's because he constantly wrote down notes. Like you ask him to do something, he'll pull out his phone, go into his reminders, and he would write it down and he would do it. Like, and God has given us a like constant and different reminder notes of his faithfulness in creation. If we would just look around. And if we would just imitate the squirrels and the bunnies and the birds, if we would just function according to our design and praise our creator for his worthiness, that if the stars who don't have mouths to shout still burn to the praise of his glory, that if the mountains with no hands to clap still stand firm to the praise of his glory, if the birds that fly and the creatures that crawl still crawl and fly to the praise of his glory, then who are we who do have mouths to speak and who do have hands to clap? Who are we to not join with them, to not even lead the song of praise to our creator God? So that's all of creation. We get to verse 11. So... Verse 10, wild creatures and all cattle, creatures that crawl and flying birds, and then just incorporated right into that zooming in, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, young men as well as young women, old and young together. Notice how he starts off by calling kings of the earth to praise the Lord. The kings of the earth, those in the highest positions, those in the positions that it would be so easy to think that you didn't need God because you're the king. You have the most power. Oh, no, you don't. No matter how high your position, the, the Lord is worthy of praise from the highest of kings to the lowest of servants, from the oldest to the youngest. You see that old and young together. You see, this is why Candeo must be a multi-generational church because God commands and deserves multi-generational praise. Old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His majesty covers the earth. You see what he's saying? Whether you're the CEO of your company or whether you are the janitor at that company, whether you are the principal of the school or whether you are a part-time teacher's associate, whether you're, whether you're the professor or whether you're the college student, all titles, all positions, all distinctions, all age groups are flattened in the presence of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. You wanna be a big deal? You wanna make much of yourself? You want people to make much of you? You want to be popular? You want to go viral? You want the likes? You want the clicks? You want the comments? You want the swipes? 
His name alone is exalted. You want to have a reputation in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family? His name alone is exalted. You see, if if verse 5 gave the heavens the reason for their endless praise, we saw that, for he commanded and they were created, verses 13 and 14 give people in general a reason to praise the Lord and also the people of God specifically the reason for endless praise. So check this out. So verse 13, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His majesty covers heaven and earth. That's people in general, whether you are a Christian or not, you are called to praise the Lord simply because of the majesty and the glory of God. He is worthy of praise from every tongue on this planet. But then he zooms in even more, keeps zooming and zooming and zooming in. Look at verse 14. So we had people in general, now the people of God specifically, those of us who identify as followers of Christ, who've been adopted into God's family. Look what he says. Who else should praise the Lord? He has raised up a horn for his people, resulting in praise to his faithful ones, to all his faithful ones, to the Israelites, the people close to him. Hallelujah. He's raised up a horn for his people, a horn. Sometimes in scripture, references to horns are references to things like trumpets and brass instruments. When we think of a horn, that's most often what we think of. But that's not what this horn is. Because in many other places in scripture, horns are referring to the horns of an animal. And what are the horns of an animal? The horns of the animal are used to defend to protect, to fight, to fight on behalf of their young. And so many times in scripture when a horn is referenced, it's not referenced to a resounding sound from an instrument, but it's, it's in reference to the strength and power and victory in battle. So for verse 14 to say that the Lord has raised up a horn for his people, what God is saying is that he has fought for his people. He has defended his people. He has gone to battle for his people and he has assured the victory for his people. The the Christian standard version, which is the the version that we uh, preach out of here, says he has raised up a horn for his people. And then it says, resulting in praise to all his faithful ones. But I think think many other versions that say this a little differently, get get it a little more right. Because many other versions will say it this way. They say, he has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints. He has raised up a horn for his people. He has raised up praise for all his saints. In other words, he has raised up salvation for his people. And in doing so, he has raised up a reason for his people to praise him. Why does that matter? It matters because of this. Because if you can't think of any other reason to praise God, God is lifting up a reason for you to praise him. He is lifting up a horn. He is lifting up the representation of his battle, of his victory on your behalf. He is raising up the great salvation that he has brought for his people, ultimately in Jesus Christ. And if you have nothing else to praise the Lord for, you can't think of anything to be thankful for. You can't think of anything to raise your voice for. God says, I have one. How about this? 
You can't think of any other reason to praise the Lord. Praise him for his victory, for his great salvation. So why should creation praise the Lord? Because he created everything. Why should all people everywhere praise the Lord? Because he alone is exalted. And why should God's people praise the Lord even in the battles of this life, even in the darkest of days, even in your greatest frustrations and disappointments? Why should God's people praise the Lord? It's because 2,000 years ago, when those soldiers and religious leaders thought they were raising Jesus up on the cross, God himself was raising up a horn of salvation for his people. That when those soldiers nailed above his head a sign that read, King of the Jews, God himself was nailing a sign above his people that said, it is finished, these are mine. So brothers and sisters, praise the Lord. Men and women, praise the Lord. College students and teenagers and children, Praise the Lord. You see, Psalm 148 is not a piece of advice. You notice that? It's not a piece of advice. It isn't a suggestion. Psalm 148 is a command. And to not lift up the Lord, to not lift him high and praise him for his worthiness is to be disobedient to his call to praise. But here's the thing. As you praise the Lord, you will delight in him more. And as you delight in him more, you will praise him more. You see, God has created within us this unavoidable rhythm of praise and delight. Praise and delight, praise and delight, praise and delight. That as we delight in something, we want to praise it more. We want to, we want to bring other people into our enjoyment. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that, that some, he said something to the effect of he said it better than this. But basically that our joy is consummated when we share our joy with others. What that means is, is that you enjoy the thing you enjoy more when you invite other people to enjoy it with you. This is why you can't help but share that funny YouTube video because you enjoy it way more. As you watch other people, watch what you enjoy. Praise and delight. Praise and delight. Remember the great salvation that the Lord has brought you in Jesus Christ. Write it on your doors and windows. Speak of it at your dinner table, night and day. Read it, read of it daily in his word and praise God for it in prayer. In every situation you face, in every moment that you go through, in every circumstance that you're in, ask yourself, how should God's salvation in Christ impact how I'm thinking right now, how I'm feeling right now, what I'm doing right now? How should my awareness and delight in who God is and what he has done on my behalf in Christ, how should that change how I see the people around me, the things around me interact with this world as I praise God? And as you process all of life through prayer, you'll find that your life will become one unending song of unending praise. Let's be those kinds of people that hold our Savior up high and praise him for who he is. And as we do that, that we would invite others to enjoy what we enjoy most.
Would that be Jesus Christ for us? Let's pray. Oh, Father, would the rocks and the trees and the mountains and the birds and the sun and the moon and the stars, would they not praise you more loudly than your blood-bought people? Would they not sing to you more often than those of us who have been redeemed, who have been chosen and called according to your purpose, adopted because of Jesus Christ's work on the cross on our behalf? Oh God, would we be a people, would we be a family, would we be a church defined by endless praise because your mercies are new every morning. Your faithfulness is new every morning. Your love is new every morning. Your power and your glory remain the same. For eternity, Lord, would we praise you. Help us to see you more clearly to delight in you more deeply and to praise you more fully with our lives. Help us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.